Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Is Logitech monitors they, and they're shit. They are the cheap $120 pair of Logitech <laughs> monitors, you know, with the subwoofer mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Jim's nose is whistling. It's that bad. It's, I can't get any air through it. All right. We've already started. So I'm just going to fade us into this episode or something. I'll figure it out. Um, yeah, man. Uh, Gearfest happened. You weren't there. Um, it sucks. You were missed, and yep. it was pretty clear everybody was asking and like talking about you. Um, yeah. You know, they were like, "I'm glad that that." Ger- I mean, uh, they they were really sad that you weren't there, and uh, <laughs> they were glad I didn't buy the stuff they did. No, I'm just yeah, I no, well, reported the stuff that you guys bought. You, you saw the live streams, right? So like everybody walked away with something they weren't anticipating buying. Yeah, but great. almost everybody got like a super deal on something. I got a I got a text I, message from uh, from Dan Kish last night. He bought a he bought a twenty dollar gravity pick for ninety nine cents. Oh my god! He might have walked out with the steal of the steal of the show because that's like what a you know a thousand percent. I mean, I, yeah. How many percent is that? That's, <laughs> I got to do the math on that. I'm going to stick that in the calculator. But I mean, that's like two thousand percent. I think. Yeah, because I think they were just like they probably have so many gravity picks that they just. If you want a gear fest, we'll give you one for 99 cents. You know, it's like no big deal. We don't care. Um, but I, I mean, I got even my, my, my Kemper was what I think it was like 200 and something dollars off. Um, and I know that that music man was the steal with the deal steal for uh Nick. He got that music man for like, I don't know, it was 2200 new. He got it for at least a thousand dollars off. Well, you got that for 0.5% of the total cost. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun, man. Like, uh, I hope you do get the opportunity to come next year. We're plan- We're going to plan to do something in the fall. Hopefully uh, things shake out well. Um, I've been invited to go up to uh, Tom's place and Nick's place when you come up here. So maybe we can figure out which one we want to go to. Wow. Um, Tom has a studio. Nick has available rooms and vintage gear galore um well that's like if i came from new york that's kind of on the way we could all we could like 
Yeah, I mean, we could maybe do the past. That I, actually, um, I had a really good time talking to Doctor Z too, and and I, I'd like to um, shoot over there. He's I would. I drop by and just hang out with him for a little bit, and maybe do a podcast or something with him if I can get a hold of him. Yeah, is he in Ohio but, uh, or is he? In yeah, New- they're in Ohio. They're like right, but they're not that far from Sweetwater. They're like, oh, yeah. like an hours drive from Sweetwater. Yeah, I know. I, I'm pretty sure I went by there when I would go to Fort Wayne um, when I was driving in and out there. Yeah, dude, those amps are legit. I know um, some of the people we were with didn't think they were the you know the bees knees or anything, but I, I as a player like the way the touch sensitivity and stuff, they were they were a perfect fit for the way that I play. Um, and I almost so Man, I I'd, have, I'd have given Dan Kish like fifty bucks to buy me some of those things. Yeah, right. Just buy I, every one not, they had. No, I would have bought some of them for you. Yeah. Um, I would have well, bought, dude. I was thinking about buying a couple things and just sending them your way. But if I, if I was, if I was, um, I, I was almost literally offline. Um, I haven't been. My computer hasn't been powered up uh, since Thursday. Five days. Six, yeah, five, four or five days. Um, I um, I haven't been at work. I've been anything. But anyway, I I uh, what was I going to say? I had something to say. I had something to say. Well, um, just with regards to everybody that was there and everything, like, and and the whole plan. So, I made it real clear on the show that I was going to go in and I was going to buy something expensive, and then I didn't say what it was. Like, I obviously bought a Kemper. Yeah. For those of you who haven't aren't clued into the Facebook, like I, our Facebook page and group, I did buy a Kemper. That was yep. what I was going in to buy. But that whole drama of how that actually happened was really entertaining. For everybody to watch except for me because i was <laughs> having a panic attack the whole time so i walked in and we walked out to the tents and the first thing that i saw was like the mace boogie booth and i'm like i'm going over there and uh kish was talking to the rap and i was talking to the rap and then i saw this blue triple crown right it was a blue snakeskin leather covered triple crown and it had um it had orange i think it was flame but it might have been curly maple uh, like on the front Yep. And I know what those upgrades cost. And I'm like, that's like a $3,000, you know, triple crown. And it was marked to 2300 And I was like, I'm going to play it. I've never played the combo. Like, it's a 1 by 12 Let's see what happens. I played it, and the guy was dialing it in as I was playing it. And we were talking and going back and forth. And there was, like, a crowd of people, like, starting to watch. And, like, it, I, I was like, I'm going to buy it. I just put it in the cart. And I was like, I was kind of having a panic attack because I'm like, can I live with this for the next three years? Because that's what this has to, this is what this has to be, you know, and I was walking right, around. Right. So I ended up in another tent and I saw Dr. Z's and I didn't even realize Dr. Z was sitting there. He was behind a table. I had some umbrellas near him, which I don't know what that was all about, but, but he was sitting at a table and uh, the, the rep plugged me into the new amp, the Nova, which is like a JTM 45. Yep. And I freaking lost it. Like that thing sounded so good. Yeah. And then, and it wasn't just the amps, like the amp on its own, like I could have gotten down with, I would have need, needed pedals, you know? Um, but then they brought out the Dr. Z drive and the little drive pedal they make is legit. Like it's one of the best drive pedals for like pushing an amp and making it, you know, distort in the right way and giving it enough dirt to like juice it. Um, and it's got some really nice features. I think one side of it's germanium and I think the other one's um, standard. I'm, I've honestly, Thought about buying one when i was playing it but i'm like i really am not gonna need drive pedals um because i have dirt out my butt i mean i had three dirt pedals with me 
um, at the the um, Airbnb. So Nick sees all this going on, right? And he pulls me aside and actually pulled me aside right after the Mason Boogie. And he's like, dude, that's not what you want. He's like, you know, you want the Kemper. Like, don't don't be like that. And um, we went back and forth for a minute. And I said, like, I've been playing Triple Crowns for a while. And like, this is something I've been thinking about. And um, I I had them put the Dr. Z in the cart. And I was like, I'll have to make a decision when I check out. And because, um, you know, they pull it aside if you if you put it in the cart. So then uh, we decided we were going to play Kemper. And there was no Kemper booth. So we went back into the store and um, waited for the quiet room. And we got in the quiet room and plugged the uh, the Kemper in. There's a little bit of like fussing with the Kemper because for whatever reason, that um, one of the firmwares they shipped out had some issues. Same thing I had the one the Guitar Center. But now I knew how to fix it, so I just re- reset it. And then we just started calling up patches, and we were handing the guitar back and forth between Nick and I. And both he and I couldn't tell a difference between that and the real amps. And we were, like, done. Was it really – so it was really that good? It was that close? Dude, there's a deluxe model in there. Like, as soon as I turned it on, we, we just looked at each other, and I was like, done, put it in the cart. I'm like, I'm, I'll take the other two out. I was like, it's so good that that it's just sick. And I mean, basically what did it for Nick, I think was when he turned the volume knob down and it rolled back like super smooth, just like a real amp. And we looked at each other and it's just like done. Honestly, when you have that first moment with the Kemper where you find it doing something that a real amp does that no other modeler does, you kind of sit there and you have this moment where you're like, well, tube amplification is over um, because there's no need for it anymore. Um, But I know, I mean, obviously that this models real world things and that kind of thing. And that we're right. not quite there yet, but, but it, it, it definitely, um, for, for gigging musician, um, even as a studio tool, like I know a lot of people downplay the fact that this is being used in a lot of studios. I think the Kemper is one of the best tools you can possibly buy. And honestly, I kicked myself for not having bought one like three years ago because, because when I bought my helix, I could have saved a bit, a bit more money and bought a, bought a Kemper easily. Yeah. Um, and the coolest thing is, though, it's got the power amp. So put it on the cabinet. Sounds like a real amp. Plug it into your system. You got cabinet modeling. It sounds great. Um, and, you know, it, and it excels at both. And I was I was literally, I had a home last night. I think it played like two hours on it. And I was downloading patches of Triple Crowns and loading them into it. And I think that the thing that, that sells people on the Line 6 Helix versus the Kemper in the long run um, is that there's there's a couple things that the line six helix does well it integrates in in an existing rig really well yep i mean that's that's really the reason why i think people still look at things like that in the axe effects and they're like this can be way more flexible to me and it's a safer thing to get into than saying you know what i'm just going to digitize everything and be done with it well you don't have to lose your pedals and you still have control of your pet midi control your pedals Mm -hmm. Um, you have loops um the, the Line 6 Helix has, what, three loops or four loops? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you only get one loop on the Kemper. Yep, you only get one loop on the Kemper, like like your regular amp, I, I mm-hmm. say. Um, and uh, I think that the Helix, because Line 6 is good at one thing, that's really shoving a lot of effects into it. Yeah, there's a lot of value in the Helix, but yeah, I think, the and I was talking to Kish about this on the way back. We had a lot of time to talk in the car because it was like a three-hour ride both ways. I told him, I said, I think the reason why I like the Kemper more than the, the Helix is the Kemper is imperfect, right? 
if if you record if you record your profiles in an ugly room with an ugly microphone, your profile is going to sound ugly. And I think that for me is like kind of where I am. I'm at the point where I can tell when something is squeaky clean, perfect and not realistic. And that really bothers me. And that's the vintage side of me coming out, like the the, the vintage lover in me that that would never buy a vintage amp because I'm terrified about reliability. But um, I I think this has more of that appeal and charm to it than, say, you know, real amp. Um, but, you know, that's the Kemper. Like, we can talk about that. That could be a whole episode. And I want to get more time under my belt before I really start talking about it. Because I know I'm honeymooning still. And that's that's a big thing. Um, I, I'd like to be able to get, you know, a couple of, of uh, show dates, things under my belt and do some recordings and then and then talk about the Kemper and, and how I'm using it and how it works out for me long term. Um, because right now I'm just shocked by the fact that I was able to download Triple Crown patches in, a, in an hour and get this thing sounding like a Triple Crown and then go turn around and get Mark V patches and literally make it almost indistinguishable to my Mark V 25. Um, for, you know, the average listener, obviously I can tell the difference because it's the big boy versus the EL84 version. I do intend to, uh, actually profile my Mark V because none of the Mark Vs I've played have the settings that I would use. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But anyway, what I do want to talk about for a minute is gear fest in general. So, um, if all goes well, and this may not actually happen, but I'm going to try to post the audio for the show on the video where we talk about gear fest. Um, or, you know, where the, where I do all the, you know, documentary gonzo gear fest footage. And basically what I try to do in the footage, and you can probably tell Jim, is just like follow the journey through going to gear fest. So like walking around through all the tents, that's why it's a half hour video. There's a lot of stuff there. And, um, I didn't even cover it all in the video, to be honest with you. There's, um, probably eight or nine booths I missed in the guitar section. Um, and I didn't even go through all of the flea market tent because it was busy all weekend um we didn't do a whole lot of the education again this year i think i sat through two sessions uh i sat through the randall smith one which was great i sat through part of the act it would be three i put sat through part of the steve Vai one but when it became such like a, a salesman thing i i left and then uh we we sat through um a mixing session with the universal audio guys and that was actually enlightening i learned a lot in there um and i think because I, I sat in there with Dan and and he hasn't, I don't think he has a lot of experience with a super advanced, like, you know, pop style mixing where they, you know, side chaining everything and all this stuff. And he, and he was just like, he was like deer in the headlights. <laughs> I, I didn't even know this was, it, it could be this complicated. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's, it's not always easy to get the sounds that you hear on these pop records, but also, you know, it's kind of strange to find out that like some of those sounds that sound like beeps and blips are really actual drums that have been just processed to all hell um and stuff like that but um i, I it's funny you mentioned that when i was at guitar center the guitar center, I, I don't know where i was today um to be honest with you everything i'm doing has kind of been a, a blur the last few days but <clears throat> i heard a, um, a guitar sound today that sounded like bleeps and bloops and i was like but that's a guitar. That's so ridiculously over the top. And yeah, and uh, I mean, it's cool in the context that it had. It just to me, it was like yeah. That's why it I was... want one of those Boss SY three thousands or whatever the the uh, synth pedal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking at uh, you know I don't want I, I want a Digitech Jam Band. You know that. Right? Uh, yeah, and they they were selling them at Sweetwater. They were marked down too. 
Where they written? See, my dog was moaning so loud it was going to come through here. Yeah, see, I dog. wanted to be. I wanted to be there. There was that. It was the microphone. I would have. I would have told my rep. I would have said, "Hey, give Dan David my thing. You can put it on my Sweetwater card. Get this. You know, get this stuff for me." Yeah, they, they um. So I ended up that the one cool deal I found microphone wise. So you know they always do the fifty seven fifty eights. They had MD four two ones for two hundred and fifty dollars. They're usually four hundred bucks. I was like, yes. I looked at that. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not getting a fifty seven this year. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because I'm like, I bet that's a mic that's been in my like wish list for a really long time. Yeah. And uh, the joke, of course, is that since I bought three years worth of guitar gear here, I figure um, next year if I do go, like the only thing I'm even going to be looking at is microphones. So you're going to have the years of no gears. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, so we're not doing like a stunt with this because obviously there will probably be things that I'll end up buying, but I'm going to try to be frugal. I have a support group of people that know why I'm trying to be frugal now who are going to like, you know, slap me around a little bit. And one of those is like the elite frugal people in our group. And that's Dan Kish. <laughs> um, so I, I think I, I think I can be cheapened by these people and I think they can talk some sense into me. Um, but I also think that the gear I have right now is going to last me three years w without really me even worrying about it. Because, I mean, the camper, if you get bored with it, you just download profiles. Now, you had you had discussed possibly getting another seven string. Yeah, I'm still doing that, but I haven't sold the guitars yet. Yeah, you want to you want to do that. Part yeah, I got a clean house first. But and you it, did you did get rid of the uh, the garbage guitar. Yeah, the the Ibanez finally went out the door. It went out the door two days before Gearfest. I was actually having a mild panic attack about having to ship the damn thing. Um, so I think uh, I think it's sold. I I haven't heard anybody anything from the person on the other end. So I'm assuming that all went well, um, and that you know they were satisfied with the condition. I tried to document as much as I could about how you know mess right. up the guitar was and um you know sometimes luthiers will buy guitars like that because they want to you know they want to practice something um and hopefully that's where it went because that, well it's relatively it. inexpensive what'd you charge like 180 it was no i got two i got 250 bucks out of it 250 yeah yeah with shipping yeah that's relatively inexpensive mm -hmm, given mm -hmm. that if you're going to do something like that yeah yeah so um yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I like spend the whole episode talking about Gearfest, but but I want to segue. So, um, one thing that was really cool is that they brought the Gibson Roadshow kind of to to Sweetwater this year. Um, they didn't have much of a booth last year. I mean, I, in fact, I think it was manned by Sweetwater reps, which was kind of strange. And they just had like it was like eight or nine guitars or ten or twelve guitars or something, and it was just like they were sitting on stands and whatever. But they had um they had the truck. And they had their tent, and their tent was actually kind of small. But in the front, they had the you know the the luthiers that that work for Gibson, doing the uh, the inlay carving and all that stuff, and uh, pickup winding. And um, we took some time, and Nick was talking to yeah. the winder, and um, I went around and of course looked at all the guitars and stuff. Um, we did get a chance to see some of the double cuts in the showroom, and I played a couple of Les Pauls um, that were 2019s. Um, their quality is definitely improving. Like I was really thrilled to actually get to lay hands on some honest to God, well set up 2019s to get an idea of what they feel like. Um, I don't, I mean, I didn't think that, that they were all that bad before. Um, but they're definitely like a cut above what they're, what they had been at, you know, when I play them at guitar center and things like that. Um, I will say that, um, you know, the word on everybody's lips while they were there was like, 
the whole scam showdown thing with Mark Agnesy and um, the video. And, and, and that's why I want to segue because it's, it really is the perfect segue. I mean, honestly, you can tell the guys that are in the Gibson tent don't give a crap that Gibson is, you know, suing Dean and probably going to be suing other companies very shortly. Um, I, I, I have my thoughts on this video and I guess well, before, before we go down that road, I want to say something that I I've discovered about that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So not the Mark, the Mark Agnesi video aside, which I want to talk about afterwards. That's a whole other like can of worms. Different thing. But the, but the lawsuit thing, here's an interesting thing I found out. <clears throat> the lawsuit was actually filed back in the Henry Jeskowitz days. So it's actually been in the works for about two, two and a half years. Yeah. So that, that thing coming to light, the reasoning for bringing it to light now um is big flashing I mean, sign for small builders Stop right it. it's like it's the big the small builders going oh you're picking on me but we you did it two years ago i think they did it two years ago they filed that two yeah. years ago and they were told um uh, and uh you know the whole as you know in the legal system things don't happen overnight no so that's the reason that it's been so long but to in the, in the works to current gibson's credit they could drop the suit now should they i mean that's true now so here's the question the 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 guitars in question by the way that the um number of the amount of money is 14 million dollars and they um if i'm remembering i'm, I'm going by memory 14 million dollars two million dollars per um Infant. guitar type okay two of the guitars by the way they're not all dean and by the way let's not let's not call dean the little the little fish anymore because dean is actually owned by a conglomerate now or whatever <clears throat> so dean itself is not the little builder it used to be 30 years ago and it is not the same company all right <clears throat> i believe it's owned by an overseas company so there's a possibility there's a reasoning behind what gibson is doing now because a lot of people were like well wait a minute it was 40 years ago that dean introduced two of the body shapes that they're complaining about the v style body shape which is an exact yeah, I mean, other than the headstock, that guitar is identical. That, right. that is an exact. You can lay those two guitars um, over each other. They, there was a um, other channel that did a. Didn't they, they steal the headstock? Off, silhouettes. Didn't they steal the headstock off another? Off guitar? the Modern. That's yeah. The next one. So the 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 bodies lay exactly over each other. That's the V and the Explorer type. So they're they're an exact rep representation. Even the layout of the of the um, the knobs are exact. And the and the uh, the only difference between the two is what um, the Gibsons have pick guards and the and the oh, Deeds don't. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, folks. I have um, I have a, my allergies are killing. Yeah, me yeah I'm not surprised. I, I can't even not, breathe through my nose. It's so not I'm uh, squeaking a whole lot anymore. He was squeaking before the show. Yeah, because I'm not trying to breathe through my nose. Um, then the other thing that uh, so the the other guitars in question. There's the modern. Or the modern, you can call it whatever you want. It's modern with the E at the end, so modern. Uh, it's um, modern day. Uh, it, it's got the V headstock thing, and that's the other thing. And they they did Dean. I didn't know Dean created a, a an ex, almost exact replica also of the modern. Yeah, the modern, modern or whatever modern. This is a long time ago though. Yeah, and it's a weird looking, uh, fugly guitar why would you knock that off 
Don't know. Maybe they maybe they didn't understand that the sales figures were. The other guitars are actually under other names owned by the same or the same group that has Dean, and yeah. that's why the guitars or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I, Luda Guitars is two of them. They have two, uh, and they're actually going after the. They they were silly enough to to make uh, exact copies of like the Dove and the Hummingbird, well, um, and then call them like the um, turtle dove and the you know the the little bird or something. It's ridiculously yeah, so, so didn't so, even bother trying to to hide the fact that they were exact. Copies. So here's the thing, like yes, all right. So we've established that like these are the things they're suing over, right? Right. But let's get let's just back up and already start talking about the philosophical ramifications of this. Right. So if Dean, all right, Dean obviously committed infringement. I think, I think everybody here knows that these are copies of Gibson designs. They're, they're obviously copies of Gibson designs and people are okay with that. Right. They've been buying them for years. And, um, I, how, how many people have been buying them? That's, that's up for discretion and, and another conversation, but, um, They've been around for a while, right? And some of these have been more recent and some of these are older. And of course, Dean has changed hands between people who owned it back then and people who own it now. And some of these models predate current Dean ownership. Um, that gets into the real like messed up side of this, right? But if if it weren't Dean guitars, right? Let's say it's, um, let's say Wild Audio comes out with a Les Paul copy, right? It's got the same body, similar headstock, maybe not the same headstock, but similar headstock. Like, would it be okay for Gibson to sue them? And I mean, honestly, I had this discussion with Nick and I think it is, I think, I think they're within their rights to say, you know what, this is our intellectual property. We have to defend it for legal reasons. They have to, I mean, that's, that's what people understand. If they don't defend it, then it enters into public domain. So yes, Gibson might be a little late on this, but that's up for the court to decide at this point. And I think that's kind of how they're playing it. And it's not really about winning or losing this suit. I mean, you remember, yeah. okay, everybody oh, remembers this property. What, right. So 2000, 2001, they the Gibson, sued the Paul Yeah. Right. And they won. And then, and then PRS stopped producing the single cup for a year. And then they went back and, and got it overturned. Yeah. They here's realized the, here's they the, got it overturned. Right. Here's the thing. So everybody's like, oh, they picked on Paul Reed Smith. And then, Paul Reed Smith didn't create a single cut for a single year. Do you know what the demand did for the single cut in 2002 or three? When yeah, it went probably, back into the probably market? actually worked out to his advantage. Come on. He, he did that. I, I, Paul could say all day long that he was, it, but come on, it worked out to his advantage. It did a really good job it. of selling guitars. For That's him. right. <laughs> Don't tell me he didn't know that going no, out. But I said to, I literally said to somebody when that, when that suit got, um, uh, and Gibson won the first time. Well, Gibson won the first time. I said, in round two, Gibson will not win. And yeah, because they're not the same guitar. Like, they're not even close. <clears throat> right. And Paul Reed Smith will win. And what's going to happen when Paul Reed Smith will win, when, when Paul Reed Smith wins? Because remember, they're not only not exact copy. They're not the same scale weight. They've got, oh, there's a lot very, of different. They're very different. different. Their controls that's, are different. That's they what, like, purposely that's, put their controls different. So, I mean. That was shocking to me that that lawsuit played out the first time the way it did. Because I was like, really? Because because there's a lot more close copies of the Les Paul. This is why I said everybody was like, oh, they were doing the same thing. Oh, they're not even close. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, are you kidding me? Paul, 
Paul went like, like that. They went, he went, oh, oh, that hurt. I must fall down. Oh, yes, lawyers, tell them that they won, you know. Oh. Yeah. And then now file it back. Pow. And then, <laughs> and then the demand of the single cut rose because all these people were feeling sorry. You don't think the same thing would happen to Dean? Come on. Dean, oh, no, we're right. We lose. Everybody feels sorry for us. Oh, look, the judge overturned it for us. We're going to make a bunch of money selling double the cut because nobody's been buying them for the last couple of years anyway. Come on. Gibson knows that nobody who nobody who buys an Explorer buys a Dean ML or MK1 or whatever. Apparently. The only reason this lawsuit is even going forward at this point is a warning shot to people right. who make things like Firebird knockoffs that are identical and period correct who will remain nameless. I wonder who that is. Yeah. yeah, I think we both know who I'm talking about. And those people, they need to stop Like yeah. at this point. However, I do think that Gibson, what Gibson should have done, they should have spun the video differently, right? Like that was a mess. And that, and now, that's, that video should never have happened the way it did. So I want to speak to the video. Okay. First of all, I, and, and I'm surprised Magnesi still got his job. I don't that's think Magnesi's responsible for it. I think that's why. I don't, I don't know. Cause you got to remember he is the, he is the president or VP or whatever, senior VP of his, of his domain. So even if he was or wasn't responsible for it, those guys lose their jobs as nope, sorry, you're out. They still get a. They get. They get compensated. Believe me, you get. I know. Get a year I know. You're, you're trying to suggest that he's a sacrificial lamb. He'd become a sacrificial lamb. I think they didn't so, judge what the reaction was going to be. I. I don't think. All right. First of all, the. I, I'm going to sound very unpopular by saying this. It the the message of it was play authentic. Okay. He didn't go. Don't play this. Don't play that. Don't play this. What he did was he said, play authentic. In other words, he brought out Gibson's played them, play authentic. It wasn't, it wasn't, don't play this. It, they're, it, what they're trying to do with it, and it's very difficult, is they have to, they have to protect the body shapes of the headstocks because of chipset, right? Otherwise, because the chipset market has exploded. And anybody who doesn't think that the chips market is exploding is is yeah, and and that's hurting. I think chip. they should have gone specifically after that though in the video, and not been like anybody who does you know does and play off the, it. It really felt like an ad campaign gone wrong, where it was like, hey, you know, we, we're making these guitars and whatever. And and I think part of it's because Gibson's Gibson's offering their product as an alternative to a three hundred dollar knockoff, like and that's not. That's, that's not never going to work. Okay, pursue them in Chinese court. Let me know how that goes for you. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing that, right. Because Well, first of all, you never win the Chinese court because the, the right. laws are different. I, right. got, I got a friend who's a patent and uh, in, import-export lawyer over there. It, yeah. Believe me, I mean, I, never, you'd never win. And you'll never shut them down. That's what I'm saying. Like they're, The they're, only thing that they're trying to do is convince the people at home by authentic. But the problem is you can't say to a person who's only got $300 in their pocket to buy a $2,500 Gibson. I don't care if you come out down to $2,200 or $2,100 or $1,800. The kid with $300 in their pocket can't afford it anyway. Yeah, I mean, if he, yeah, so like 
let, let's think about that for a minute. So even if like, let's say, let's say, and I, and I, and I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with, you know, we're going to talk about Epiphone. So, you know, where my opinions lie on this, but let's say the $350 kid says I, a Gibson, only a Gibson is good enough. Right. And then he stops and he says, well, I can buy an Epiphone. And so he stops and he goes to the store to buy an Epiphone. What can he buy in that range if he wants a less ball? I mean, right. He's not getting. He's not. He could buy an Epiphone Les Paul Studio, right? And right. and you can't even get the Plus Top Pro now, right? Well, and 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 the, uh, to that end, I don't think anybody looks at Epiphone and says that's gigging or or studio quality anymore. I don't know if they're saying it's not. Uh, uh, I've got a lot of friends who would who would gig with an Epiphone, and there's only one reason they won't. And we've talked about it before. It's that headstock. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the headstock's part of it, but I think, I mean, the, the Epiphones I've played, they have nice necks and stuff. The pickups are awful. That's what I'm saying. Like, you'd never use that in the studio. I don't well, know if most people would use it on stage. I, I would say, I don't see them around on stage. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I, um, I've got some friends who have had their headstocks altered. Um, and I don't want to throw anybody's name out there. But have literally bought Epiphones, had their headstocks altered, and uh, they're playing Epiphones on stage. Well, with a Gibson logo on. So Gibson, <laughs> play authentic. Well, so and that, and that's what that's that's a problem. Another philosophical problem, right? So they say play authentic, or only a Gibson is good enough, right? And then you stop and you think about that for a minute. But it's like only a Gibson is good enough. But then you're selling it under the Epiphone label. And and seriously though, if you took an Epiphone and you pop those pickups out. And the pots. In other words, you replace the electronics. Mm. Maybe the nut. On a on a let's say you bought a um, high end Le, um, Les Paul Epiphone Les Paul, which is around six hundred dollars these days now, five hundred fifty six hundred. Um, I think seven hundred for some of the higher higher end ones. But let's say you you, you know like custom pro or whatever. But let's say you spent five hundred dollars on Epiphone. You could then pull out all the electronics. Put new electronic or put replacement electronics in there, um, and uh, replace the nut for what five bucks. Installation costs another twenty dollars, right? So you could you could literally walk away for another three hundred dollars or so with a less ball. It's just as far as looks go. Yeah, it might not look, it might not wear the same as an authentic less uh, studio or I mean uh, uh, standard. Um, 15 20 years from now who gives a crap so it, the, the people that want the look in 20 years give a crap but i'm just saying so i think part of my part of my rub and, and i and i had a long conversation with nick on this um and i wish he was on the show tonight but he's he's got some things going on so he's tied up um i think part of this whole thing that really irritates me is like i came into this conversation thinking gibson's way forward is to beat the Chinese at their own game, right? So come up with a way to make an imported Gibson that, you know, is around the 600 to $750 mark that gives you the features and look of an expensive Gibson at a reduced price. And I'm not talking about a faded series. I'm not, we've done that before and it's all US based and all that. I'm talking about like a dyed in the wool, Les Paul standard style guitar, you know, with, with binding and the whole schmear. Maybe USA pickups, um, but that's what they're doing now. They're the line of of Gibson, or I mean, I'm sorry, Epiphones, 
I apologize. I know, but it's the wrong. But that's the wrong brand. That's the problem. Yeah, that you, you're, you're. That's exactly what I said. There's a lot of people who are like, I would buy that if it didn't say Epiphone across the top with a big wide. I'm not even as I'm not really even that concerned about the the Epiphone name on it, if the you know the inlay is right and the headstock looks correct. That's that's what I mean. Yeah. If it, yeah, if they if they made the headstock the the standard book binding, right, open mm -hmm. book, and they they did everything else, you know, if you cut the headstock, if you cut the headstock off an Epiphone, it is it is in all intents and purposes looks wise. Yeah, very it, it similar. Gets, very similar. Right? Yeah. Now, if if like you said, and I think that they could do that, like it's similar to the S2 series that that um yeah, Martin I mean Smith that's does, ship the epiphone over. The the bulk of the work is done, right? And now you've got the whole guitar with the exception of the electrons. Now throw your pickups in there, or even have them put the pickups in it. Who cares? Well have them ship it back over. Um and you know, I I Look, Paul Reed Smith is putting in uh, the Korean um, bridge, right? The Korean pickups, and so on and so forth, and still getting away with it. I ship the ship the damn guitar over here, done except for the electronics. Put the electronics in, do a setup, do a test, and sit, ship it out the door. It's going to cost a few more dollars, but I'm sure, I'm sure, well, people would be willing to buy it. So here's the issue, right? Yeah. So this whole moniker that only a Gibson is good enough and their heritage, you know, they talk about 120 years of being made in the States and like that's not going to change and those kinds of things. Um, I understand a couple of things about Gibson talking to some of the Gibson guys at Sweetwater that I didn't understand before, which is, that, look, Gibson is a company. They thrive on the fact that they're collectors, right? the vast majority of people that have been buying Gibsons over the last five years are collectors, which is why they've been doing so many of these collectors runs like the van colors and all that stuff that they've done. Um, and they've been keeping the company afloat. So if you lose those $4,000 buyers that are willing to buy a Gibson every year, you know, at that price, you're, you, I mean, with, with a company with capital problems, like they quote unquote have, because that's debatable at this point, they've obviously gotten themselves out of bankruptcy already. Um, then you, you begin to kind of scratch your head and go, can they really afford to abandon their core buyers? Because I think that's what happens if they were to, if they were to shift a great deal of their production mentality over to developing some lower cost instruments for people, I think you're going to see the collectors drop off because now the the golden age of Gibson is over, which is the USA made quality and all that. And It'll it'll be a long transition, but it might be enough to kill the company over time. Because let's face it, the vast majority of what Gibson's selling right now are not acoustics. They're electrics. That's where their money's going. Like Les Pauls are probably keeping the doors open. SGs are probably filling the pockets a little bit more, you know, and maybe 335s and the, the hollow bodies are a whole other thing. I, I think if Gibson were to, were to do this, what they would want to do is to try to find some sort of middle ground where they could produce a guitar in the States around a thousand bucks. That isn't a double cut with a satin finish that that's poorly applied because that's what they look like to me um when i saw them uh they're not it's not that they're poorly applied it's just that they're not like a true satin finish they're just like a stain almost 
um very yeah, very, very crazy. thin crazy like and it, and it'll wear out real fast which a lot of people like but the thing is for a thousand bucks come on you can do better than that um i i i think they can they can come up with an instrument that i think people like but i think it's going to have to be a new instrument yeah but you okay you have a you have a, a lot of valid points and i agree with you wholeheartedly about the uh the standards that are um it, and obviously the standard as it will be applied is $2,500. So you're still going with the bottom, now it's called the bottom, um, which is going to be the ones that are, four, that are three and $4,000. Right, right. right. So, and your special editions are still going to be out there. So absolutely. The standard right now is like $2,500 or $2,600. And it's and then I, I, I still think that's out of the room affordability for most, your, your average musician at this point, right? Like, so the guy that plays that's in right. the weekend gig band, you know? That's right. Because let's face it, even the, the most expensive um fender that's the uh, stratocaster or telecaster that's out there that's it's sub 2000 it's not well it's, it's not custom right shop. not custom shop 20 right that's not custom shop it's right at about 2200 dollars. so it's still cheaper than the gibson which that's why to me it's it's just weird to me because of the, the fact they're bolt-ons and everything else but we can't we can go into that we we can go down that road later but the fact is that people will people will pay what they pay the um, whether or not the you know a bolt-on is ever going to put as much work into it with it with a with a not figure top there isn't a Stratocaster in the world that's got a figure top so yeah you know well so here's so here's I think this is part of the issue right so Fender has more extravagant hardware in the sense that it actually does stuff right um their electronics are simpler. They're they're assembly line guitars, so they're they're built that they can be assembled in a cheap and inefficient way. I think Gibson has wiggle room in the way that they produce guitars, but I think that's also a pitfall area for them that they could potentially produce. They could potentially reduce the cost of a Les Paul a couple hundred bucks by doing some things in the factory a little differently, maybe doing some more CNC, maybe doing some some electronics that are a little bit more simple to drop in. I think Juskowitz was actually trying to do that. Um, but I think the pitfall there is we've already seen the backlash from the traditionalists anytime they change anything. And I think that's going to make that, that, that much more contentious to, to move right. forward. However, if you continue to have the Les Paul standard and you have something like, and I don't want to call it this, but like the Les Paul value, which would be like a traditional Les Paul, but manufactured under more modern conditions, like in the way that you would manufacture other guitars, um, around that value point and from other brands, um, even with a carved top and all those things, um, I think they could do it, but they would have to be very, very clear that the standard is still made the way that they used to make it. Well, that's where I got is that if you took an Epiphone, um, whether you put the name Gibson or Epiphone at the top of the headstock, doesn't matter. But if you put took an Epiphone and you made the, head, the headstock similar, shipped them in, I don't think that's going to, Country Push, of origin uh, still matters. That's, that's no, no, no. I, I agree with you. I wholeheartedly. That's what I was going to getting at. You don't ever lie to people and say, "Yeah, I, I made yeah. this." Well, I'm just saying, like, like us for 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 us, country of origin doesn't matter for Gibbs for like Gibson's typical buyer. If it doesn't say it's made in USA, they don't want it. I I think that's what 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 I'm what I'm getting at is that like they really have to figure out how to do this in the states somehow uh, somehow. 
I think that they could get more Epiphones out the door that way. Honestly. Well, they'd have they to change the headstock shape. To ch- if all they did was change the headstock. Sure. If they were just willing to do that. Sure, but they may not will be willing to do that, and I'll tell you why. Because they figure they can still get people to buy those higher-end Gibsons because that's a feature. No one who buys a sub-thousand dollar Epiphone wants a $2,500 Gibson Les Paul. They want it. They want it. I shouldn't say want it. Can buy the $2,500 Les Paul. That's that's just that. The the number of people, the the fine line people who would say, oh, I'll just buy an Epiphone because I, I don't think that's there. Honestly. I think for the same reason that the people who are buying core PRSs aren't the people buying S2s. I don't think I don't think those people are buying Epiphone either. I think they're buying Fender now. I don't I don't think so. I think if I you th- want less Paul, you want less Paul. You don't I, want a Fender. I have to say, I think that there are a lot of people at that low end of the market that are like, I want a quality guitar, and they don't care who it comes from. That's they, what I'm and, saying. And they look at Epiphone and they go, What Epiphone's putting out right now is not quality. I I would disagree only in the last, again, when the Jeskowitz went out and What's-His-Name came in, the one thing they haven't talked about are some of the changes they've done. Well, I... They haven't haven't really made a lot. I'm not really sure that they have made a lot of changes to Epiphone. They've been so worried about what they're going to do with Gibson proper that I don't think the line over at Epiphone has changed that significantly yet. Um, it will. I mean, I, I rest assured. I think that it's going to be all an all new thing very shortly, um, well, because it has to like be I said, now. I mean, they that, fired the they fired the first shots in a war. So the uh, the first thing I noticed was um, afterwards, because because Anderton's did a ton of videos post change. Well, we'll know in a month. And one of because the they're going to Summer they, Nam. Yeah, one of the things that they talked about was. The fact that now they're getting, they're putting the um, Gibson USA uh, stuff in the Epiphones. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Like I said, I mean, Summer Dam, possibly Winter Dam next year. I mean, personally, like I would love to to do what I suggested initially when we when we talked about how we were going to cover this topic, and that is to I would love to see Gibson be like, all right, look, well, you know, we got to do the same thing as as what Fender has done to to bridge the gap between Squire and Fender. And and just start like mixing it up and not telling people, not really not telling people, but just like pulling back the veil and saying, look, it really doesn't matter where the parts are coming from. It's not that important as long as the quality's good and you guys are happy. And so, I mean, I played um, I played three different Fenders. I played a, I played the the Player Series, the Professional Series, and I played the Elite, right, the the top tier two thousand dollar Strat. And actually, I felt like all three were really good for what they were what they were charging for. I didn't think they were perfect, but I was looking at them and going, well, this one's only, you know, well, this one's only like 700 bucks. Like, I get it. Like, they, they, but yeah, it's really series. good for $700. For $700. And then, so and then I looked at the American and I was like, this is really good for like the 1100 or whatever it was. Yeah. It's, and it's then the one. Elite, I was like, this is a really top quality, like top end Stratocaster. $2,000 like, guitar. Yeah, right? yeah. And and so I the, actually I didn't even realize what it was until I looked down and saw the two thousand dollar price tag and I was like, all right, yeah, that's the that's that makes sense. Um, yeah. But uh, I I'd like to I'd like to feel that same thing when I pick up an Epiphone and I don't I don't really look at Epiphones and go this feels like a 
you know, I, I had a, I think one of the Les Pauls, um, not, not a Sweetwater, but a couple weeks ago. And I looked down and I was like, this has got to be like a three or four, $300 guitar. It was like 500 bucks. And I'm like, Oh my God, like what is going on here? And I, it's an old, you know, obviously it's not a brand new model. Like it's probably something that had been hanging on the rack, but still yeah. like it just did not, that did not seem right. You could see finish flaws in it and everything else. I was like, yeah, this is messed up. Yeah. So the Anderson video that I'm talking about, um, uh, it was, re it was relatively recent. It was only the last few weeks, but, um, maybe two months ago, uh, the one thing that he said, he said, I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give Gibson um, two points that I would tell them. One, don't put all these stupid stickers on here. Yeah. It's like a sticker everywhere. Um, you know, the don't throw this in the trash stickers. Oh, don't put it them on the so pick guard. Many. And don't put anything on the pick guards because if it hangs in a window. That's, that's exactly the one I was talking about. That QR thing they're putting in the pick. What the heck is that all about? But anyway, they got all those things. And then he said, the other thing is change those damn headstocks. He said, I could sell a lot more of these. You got to remember, we can't live it. We can't look at this in our own little bubble. We've got to look at this in the whole worldwide bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Anderton, he sells to a lot of people. Well, that guy. and, and, and you, you also have to remember, like, he, they're in England. So, for example, like PRS, their PRSs don't come from the same place as ours. Their SEs don't come from the same place as ours. They come from Korea. Ours come right. from ours come from Indonesia. They're made by Cortec well, that's a, now. Yeah, that's, a, that's a reason. That's a recent change, and theirs will come from Indonesia. Eventually, too. eventually, but they, but they, I, from what I understand, it's going to be another two years. That's what I. That's what I heard. Well, it's because everything that's in a line, you got to remember, just like mm -hmm. the stuff that comes into the states goes out faster, and so the Indonesian ones, or I mean, the Korean ones are gone, and the Indonesian. Right, right, but they, and they're all they also have some different models over overseas too, is my understanding, but. That's um, true. They, they're just like different colors and that kind of thing. But, um, and they get different cases, which is another, that's another whole thing because shipping and all that stuff is different. But yep. my point being that, that, um, if Gibson wanted to make inroads in foreign countries, they could potentially consider making some European only models. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's an option for them. It's certainly yeah. a viable one. They did do the, like the Orvilles and stuff like that that were Asian only. Um, so they could they could do something like that. Yeah. The point is that that I think coming down to it though, play authentic. We've we've talked about this before. If you're gonna buy a Gibson, put your own name on it. Yeah, do something, something else. I mean, that's all. Don't that's, don't open I mean, yourself up to this stupid stuff. I mean, it's illegal to buy one. First off, um, you put it on YouTube, it's you get banned. Sell. We know people who have been banned from YouTube for that. Um, right. It's illegal to sell it, and I, I want it's to say also that illegal a, to in, in, knowingly buy one, in, knowingly import it. Yeah, yeah. there the um there's a place called I'm going to throw their name under the bus anyway. Zuni Trading Post over at Newport News, um, and they've got a a knowing fake Gibson ES three three five hanging on the wall, and it says it's a fake Gibson, yeah, not a Gibson, but it says Gibson on the headstock has the little you know leaf and everything. And I'm like, okay, so you know this is a fake. You guys should also know you can't sell that. Yeah, I it's mean, illegal they, to sell it. Honestly, what they should do is probably uh, damage the the um, not the like change the logo somehow. Yeah, the gift the Gibson logo. Yeah. I've seen it where people literally scratch that logo off. Mm -hmm. I would. I but mean. there's there's a guy that's got 
um, a quote-unquote Gibson for sale locally, and he's trying to sell it as a Gibson, but the one thing he won't take a picture of is he won't take a close-up picture of the uh, um, of the the oh, come on, Jim. The, the uh, saddles okay. or the, you know, the bridge and he won't take it's a not standard ABR. Picture. Yeah. He won't take a picture of the he- the headstock either. Right, right. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to cover this too much because I, I think it's probably been done to death on everybody else's show at this point, but it's just important that, like, we all realize that Gibson's going still going through massive changes and this could be this could be a three or four year process where they're still finding their legs, and um, you know I, I I've heard it said in a couple of other groups, and I think it's really important to keep this in mind. But the last time Gibson was this deep in trouble, and they had, and they had hired like somebody to come in and fix it, Henry Jeskowitz came in. Henry didn't fix it. Okay, everybody thinks Henry fixed it, but what really happened was that that um, Guns and Roses happened, right? So Slash brought back the Les Paul. And then they started selling them and, and other bands picked them up too. And then that continued to, to grow and grow through the nineties when you had grunge bands that were actually getting into Gibsons and stuff as well. Maybe they were playing the off the wall ones in some cases, but there was a lot of guys that were into the, the double cutaway flat top Les Pauls and stuff like that um, in the new metal movement as well. And I think that helped propel them to where they finally felt like they could innovate and then they fell flat on their face because of the guitars they were they they tried to innovate the whole line and it was like what are you guys doing like you just don't seem to get that people don't want that um i don't I personally i don't have a problem with the robot tuners and stuff like that i think some people really freak out about those things but um i think that was a valiant effort to do something unique and different um but i think that they should have done that on a very select group of guitars instead of the whole line in 2015 that was a silly silly decision and it almost cost them the company and i don't think anybody knows you know there's been a lot of people that have said um oh well gibson made a lot of decisions that that really like hurt them gibson had an awful year in 2015 when they did that and i don't think anybody realizes how much that actually affected their balance sheet if you have an entire run of guitars and that's what you do as a company, you spend all of your money making these guitars, equipping them with high tech stuff, and then it doesn't sell, what are you going to do? You're going to be broke. That's what you're going to do. And I have a feeling that's what happened. They put their neck out there and it got stepped on. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. definitely. It may have been, it may have been the last in a string of things like that, but it was definitely, that was significant. And I don't think people realize how think, significant. You would have think they would have learned their lesson with the what was it, the Explorer Two or the X Explorer? The yeah, the, I think they, they just X, thought if we, kept, if we just kept doing this stuff, they figured that it would eventually catch on, and it just wasn't gonna happen. I mean, I could see it once, twice, but geez, for years they were doing this mess stuff. What was the Fiber X was 2013, right? Yeah, but the, but but when they did it in 2015 across the entire line, that was like that was like blasphemy, and 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 that's the way that the guitar market reacted was like, what are we doing here? What you know? What wait wait a minute? Did Gibson just lose their mind? Because they did. They I mean they literally yeah. stopped caring about what the core buyers wanted. Yeah, and so. 
I was playing um, acoustics today, like I told you, mm-hmm. and I tried a Gibson acoustic. Right. So I was I played a Martin. Martin was about a sixteen hundred dollar Martin, and I switched over to a Gibson acoustic, and it was a two thousand dollar Hummingbird. Mm-hmm. It was on sale from like twenty three or twenty four hundred. Well, so it wasn't, didn't have all the accoutrements of the four thousand. Right, right, right. Which it was exactly the same guitar, except really cool stuff on, and. I didn't like it. I, I was I was shocked and amazed because I love um, I love hummingbirds. Normally, the back of the neck was like of like a six hundred dollar Fender finished neck. It was so sticky, gooey. You know, as far as yeah, that, but that. but but Jim, part of that is you're playing different guitars now, and you're going back and forth, and you're like. This is not what I expect. Yeah, because I I know well, I the, had that the moment. Martin. I went right. I didn't have that problem with but problem with the Martin or the Taylors I played. But the the Gibson. I put my hand on that and I could not. I, Any idea what year it was? No, brand new. Yeah, but brand new could be well, three years old. Yeah, it could be two or three years old. I don't because we because been. I noticed they've been starting to take the years off the tags now. Yeah. Yeah, the year was definitely not on the tag. I would have had to look at the serial number, which is inside, then run the serial number. Yeah, and they've done that because they were discounted. So I remember like a year ago, they were still selling 2015s. That's why I said that 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 2015 thing is still lingering. Yeah, well, this was, like I said, this was acoustic. This was a hummingbird acoustic, which I was was just shocked that I didn't really like it. Because I've played doves and hummingbirds in the past. Um, and I really liked them, and I was not impressed at all, at all. I liked the sound of it. It was great, but I couldn't. I, I was like, I would have to sand this neck. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, consider this, right? So it's not just the fact that they did that in 2015, right? And it's not just the fact that they're still maybe producing some questionable product, but it's the fact that when they did it in 2015, they took those guitars back and fixed them all. They did. They, 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 in 2015, they had to take them and put uh, regular tuners. Can on. you imagine the amount of loss that that company took on when they did that? Yeah. Not only did you have, I mean, because you literally paid for the labor to fix them. Yeah. You, they offered to send them to you, the replacement tuners, or you could have the. They were pulling them off store shelves and replacing them too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the store could say, hey, I don't, I, I don't want right, to right. go. Do it. So do it. Anyway, so just food for thought going into all these discussions about new lawsuits and stuff. I know they're gonna I know they're still gonna be coming. And uh we shouldn't all be surprised. I mean, this is this is par for the course. As far as the video goes, that could have been handled differently, obviously. Um, and I think they yeah. should have made very clear that like we're gonna pray really what that video should have been is that look, there's a lot of imposters out there. You need to play authentic because we are going to produce, and, and it should have been just like this. We're going to produce the best guitars we've ever produced in the next five years, and they're going to be available for you. Right. That's but the how thing that should that have they've got done. to make sure of. Right. They got to make sure of quality, and they got to make sure of quality not only on their end, but they got to make sure that their dealers are doing quality. Yeah. But I can say that, as far as their dealers go, a lot of old dealers that left Gibson are coming back. Yeah. And the reason is because Gibson is no longer like, okay, now you got to have like four. They're changing their dealer agreements because they know they have to. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's critical for them because that's that's been a thorn in their side since day one. Yep. So, um, that we talked about Gibson, we talked about uh, Gearfest. You're obviously looking into Martin right now, uh, yep. an acoustic. Um, I mean, what else you got going on? Like, I got because because we haven't been in touch the last couple of days. So. Yeah, so um, you know about my personal. Yeah, yeah, that's all other thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got some, uh, some playing going well, on. Then tell I everybody why you actually missed uh, gear fest. I fell down. You fell down. Uh, if you couldn't get so up. So I, yeah, what happened was they had a, I should sue them. Uh, maybe I can get some money, but no, you I, might need it. I was, uh, I was doing the open mic at a small club in Chesapeake and I stepped off stage about eight to nine inches off the floor. Um, and when I stepped down, the floor was wet where I stepped, my ankle went in and my body went out. And as a matter of fact, I feel it right now because it, it, it's better, but it's, it's still it's swollen. Not great. Yeah. It's still, well, it's it, it, the swelling is almost gone almost, but now the bruising is still there. Yeah. I've it's, seen photos the, folks. It's not pretty. The inside. Yeah. The photo, if the one that David saw was when David saw it, when it was, Literally double. The yeah, size I, 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 I said, well, I guess you're not going to Gear Fest. <laughs> that was, yeah. that was my it reaction. Hadn't, it hadn't bruised yet. The next day, the bruising came out, and it was oh god, it was purple. Um, but uh, the inside right now hurts. Uh, the inside of the ankle. Um, it, and it might be because, like, as I was walking, you know, I would have to because I, I, I refuse. I, I come from an old school of walk it off, and so, um. Uh, I was favoring everything, so now I've got like uh, my calf hurts, my shin hurts, and my this hurts, that hurt on the other leg. Because <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, because you're favoring it, right? Like right. So uh, hey, yeah, folks, make make sure when you're stepping off on and off that stage, you check for that. I, I did not expect that to can, happen to me. Can, can I make you feel better for a minute, Jim? Yeah, so sure. remember that in the winter, I I pulled my groin. By sitting oh, yeah. on the floor, Indian style, playing guitar. <laughs> so it's it's almost as bad as what I did. And by the way, my groin strain still bothers me once in a while. It's been six months, and according to my doctor, it can take up to a year to heal. So it's yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, and you got to remember, I'm older. You know, um, ankles on older people. I, I'm lucky. You know, I'm actually lucky because I could have snapped it. I easily. Could've. Oh sure, sure. But I was smart enough. Once I felt the pain, I said, "All right, let go." And I went totally limp, and I went right down to my shoulder. I did a, I did a shoulder roll, um, and I uh, came out of it. Um, but then, as I was walking out the door, because the pain isn't, pain isn't there at first till you take that first step, right? You step on it, and you go, "Oh no, this is not going to be good." And then the swelling began. But I had a gig to do. And I stood up there and I got on and off stage. That's the other thing. I didn't do myself any favors. Got up and down and on and off stage, helping people out, and playing backup to people. And yeah, I, I, that probably wasn't. It wasn't the best hundred bucks I've ever made. <laughs> it cost you a lot of grief, pain. Um, so anyway, um, I guess uh, what I wanted to talk about. Oh. So I get. I guess we can do some more some more Gearfest talk, right? Like Gearfest. Well, yeah. So let me before you get to Gearfest. So everybody, before David went and decided to get the camper, I had been 
on the fence about Kemper line six, Kemper line six. And uh, so it's a good possibility that next year I'm going to do the Kemper thing, right? So um, I'll be buying at GearFest next year. I'll be doing a similar thing. I'm really looking forward to hearing David's, um, uh, you know, accounts of how well the the foot switch works with him. How's the how's the um, uh, the interface? How's the software? They're supposed to come out with a new software. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I've been in the current version. They're always coming out with new stuff. Well, like, just like Line Six, they're supposed to come out with a new um, uh, control. Yeah. Software. I'm waiting. Whatever you call yourself, a management thing. Or, yeah. The, or, the editor's coming, and then. Um, yeah. I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for actually for their cabs. Um because yeah. I'm I'm running through my Mark V cab, which is great, but it would be nice to be able to do like different speaker sounds through through Yeah, so they have a cab that they introduced at Winter Damp that still hasn't come out. Yeah. Um and it's probably not gonna be they said sometime in summer, but I don't think it's gonna be out at summer NAM. I think it's I think it's a little bit away. But that um yeah. the cool thing when is, does when does summer uh, summer end? September fourth. Yeah, that's what's coming out. The cool thing is that they're gonna be releasing the speakers so you can put them in whatever cab you want which would be nice for yep. people who have 412s and things like that because i think their cab is only going to be a one by 12 um yep. so yeah i mean what i want to talk about so like hospitality and stuff while we were there this year um everybody was you know again last year everybody was super nice um i got to have some interesting conversations with a couple of people just like random people that i ran into there um and the the general consensus was like you know, GearFest is a wonderful thing. Um, I, I, I really I really felt like uh, I sit in one of the sessions and they raise their hand, you know, and they said, how many people here have been to GearFest before? And everyone raised their hand except for a few people. How many people is your first time? Like far fewer hands flew up. And it was like, how many people have been here more than five times? And I looked around the rooms and I, and I, and I was completely astounded by the amount of people that raised their hand. And, um, again, we did the little map thing. And of course, you know, some people are being jokers and putting stuff like I'm from Antarctica and stuff on there. But for the most part, like I spoke to a guy that was from like Poland. Um, some of the vendors, you know, of course come from all over the world. Um, some of the, some of the people who are there come from all over the world. I got to talk to Steve Stein, um, just briefly. I said hello and, uh, he was, he was busy. So I didn't, I didn't want to bother him too much, but, um, we had a we had a brief conversation. You remember who I was, and of course he he was asking where you were, and I said I said Jim fell off the stage. <laughs> I said, he's not here today. I said you'll have to ask about did it. He, um, did he laugh? Yeah, he did. He's like he's like oh is he okay? And I'm like well I said he might he might have broke his ankle, but you know he seems to be okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure he's been there before. Hey, is he as short as he says he is? Dude, I didn't realize it was him. He was so short. <laughs> like yeah because his hair is super long you know and like when you see him in the clips he looks a lot taller because his hair is super long he's he's probably he's probably five two that's what he was saying about five two yeah i mean he was he was up to my shoulders and i'm five eight so that sounds about right yeah yeah you're only like an inch taller than i am but he but you know he was he was super nice and stuff saw rudy sarzo walking around um Oh yeah, I thought I saw he him. In, in one he, of your po- clips. he popped in the line six tent real quick, and then and then walked off. Um, and uh, I decided to get to really say much to him. Um, I did see. Um, we didn't get to go see Greg Cock, but I did see him walking around. Uh, and I got to talk to him. Super, How could you miss Super him? briefly. Um, I just said hello, you know, love your music and whatever, and he was just like walking past. But I'm I'm gonna make an effort to go up and see him in Wisconsin this year at some point. Um. 
because I know he's performing all the time or whatever. Uh, but um, I mean, I ran into people that I didn't that, that told me they weren't going to be there, that, and then they and then they ended up being there. Uh, people that were there last year that that I met, um, and uh, so the weird. Oh, was Brian Wampler there? Yeah, he was there, and <laughs> and it, it, I I didn't touch him again this year, so it was it was much better. Um, Kish Kish and I were there at his booth and talked to him just briefly, and he was he was really nice to me and like um i think he did remember me because i mentioned i was like I, I we we spoke last year and he's like yeah i remember and i was like i was just thinking like you know i'm sure you do <laughs> he's like don't you touch me yeah that was the guy that put his hand on my shoulder that creep um <laughs> weirdo yeah so um oh josh scott was there this year uh, uh i wanted to talk to him briefly and just tell him you did see steve Vai. yeah so i didn't go to i didn't go to the signing with him we went to we went to the performance he played two songs and did a 45 minute interview it was like wow this is lame um yeah. and and i and i passed my feedback along to some of the sweetwater employees i was like let him know that that was lame nobody wants to come see yeah. steve i talk like no, no no offense but but you know, he's he basically sat there and hawked his product for like forty five minutes. Now, what was the product he was hawking? All right, so he's got the synergy module that's coming out. Oh coming yeah, out. yeah. And um, which to me signals the end of his work with with um, Carbon Audio. Carbon, um, yeah. which is okay. Like I, I, I kind of saw it coming because uh, you know Carbon Audio is obviously pretty much defunct. I know they uh, might be still in operation, but I don't know anybody who's purchased their product. And um, that's kind of telling, um, but uh, it just seems to me that that uh, synergy probably is a way to go for him since he's a super audiophile, um, and you know he's probably not ready to ditch tubes. Although uh, there's a lot of speculation that he's actually using the Axe Effects, and will continue to use the Axe Effects. I know people have said that he was using it for um, for effects only. I doubt that. I really do doubt that. Um, right. It, it, it's such a convenient tool. I mean, he might be using dummy cabs and just using the axe effects and wedges and all that. Um, yeah, he seemed like a, a nice enough dude, but I just think that like something about how his situation was handled at GearFest, somebody pissed in his Wheaties. Basically, that's what that's what it felt like to me. So he was phoning it in. He wasn't funny in the interview. He was basically talking about, well, I use this product and this product and this product. You know, it's like. Um, and, and he basically, he played, uh, like two songs, I forget what song he played in the beginning, but I know he played, uh, uh, for the love of God at the end. And it's like, well, yeah, that's what we expect. You know, you're going to play that song, but you know, where's the other stuff? Like, but he didn't have his band with him. His music is very challenging. And I have a feeling that's kind of like what this conversation went like was like, well, I don't have tracks or, you know, or like I could use tracks and they didn't want to or something. And then, so it ended up being like a 45 minute interview. Oh, so he, he played with people. Yeah. But they, they were, they, yeah. He used the session musicians, I think from, from uh, oh, Sweetwater yeah. and, and they were able to keep up with him, which was pretty impressive. Um, it's still tough. Yeah. So, and then also um, we saw Eric Johnson the last night and um, I was really, Oh yeah. Was How was really that? disappointed. Really? He was making mistakes left and right, and um, 
it just he he just wasn't on his game, and I don't know if there was something like going on with the sound or what, but he was just not on his game. And uh, wow. we we stayed. He played like Cliffs of Dover like four songs into his set, and as soon as that happened, we went down to the bargain tent because we were like, well, I was like we got to see what we wanted to see, I guess, because he's he just was oh, not wow. that great, and uh, I was really disappointed because I saw him years ago and he was on fire, um, and then I saw yeah. him about two years later and he was like kind of phoning it in, but he was opening for somebody. And then we saw him at GearFest, and he was very much phoning it in. It was pretty... You gotta wonder, so how old is Garrett Johnson now? He's uh, uh He's got to be in his 60s. I mean, he's yeah. in his 50s, 60s. But, but the thing is, um, I think he's just doing it different now. Like, now it's not about... Um, it's not about the technical, for, technical ferocity. So he's not practicing as much. And I think he's happier living in the moment, but him living in the moment is sonically kind of ugly um, because he's well, playing the wrong notes at times. And um, well, you got to wonder painful. if at, at that age, well, that's what I was about to say. At that age, it might be literally painful for him. Well, I he might have I, onsets of arthritis. A lot of these guys that play that much, at the, you know, for the so many I years. I think monitoring so was a bigger issue for him, to be honest with you. He might have been playing with in ears okay. and not used to it. And I think yeah. doing that probably because his rhythm was off. It was like he couldn't hear the drums. And uh, wow. there were times where he was like, like not a, not a half beat off, but maybe, you know, an eighth of a beat off yeah. or a sixteenth of a beat off. And you're like, you're going, what? He must not be able to hear because like we know he can play. I, I've seen him before. I've seen him play right. phenomenally. Um, and it just it was a bad night for him. But it was weird yeah. because I've seen it. I've seen him with two bad nights, which makes me wonder if. He just doesn't have well, it anymore, was, you know. That's why I was saying that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the fingers they're whether it's it's uh early onset of arthritis or if it's uh um sometimes the muscles well, Yeah, you know, and I was it, just gonna it, say, like it may just even be that he's just out of practice and that's you right. know um and, and for for a guy like him, like they were at one point they were saying he practiced like eight, nine hours a day. He may not be doing it anymore. He just may be like, I'm done, like I've got I've got my Grammys and like I've got a lot of money from doing this, like I'm not, I'm not going to beat myself up over it anymore. And, and you know what? Good on yeah. him. Like if that's how he feels about it and he can still pack audiences. Great. I mean, I'm sure that many of the people there were like thrilled to see him and probably couldn't tell what, what we were able to tell, but we were, I think we were all well-versed enough in his music that we were kind of like, wow, this just isn't that great. Like his tone was awesome. Uh, I'll say that much. He sounds just like the records as always, but uh, just was not like, playing to the highest level and so kind of weird to have him headlining when you had steve Vai uh that came in and did a clinic that was that was kind of an odd yeah. choice um which yeah. i'm i'm still like i know people uh robert jackson mentioned that somebody he knew had had like kind of a negative experience talking to steve Vai as he was walking around the event and whatever and like i'm not going to get in the middle of that i still i still respect steve Vai as an artist enough that i'm going to go see him the next time i get the opportunity but um, I feel like uh, Eric Johnson. I've seen him. I've seen him three times now. He's disappointed me twice. Uh, it's just no reason for me to do that anymore. No, no. no. You, you you can say you saw him, and why relive the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, I still go back to that July Fourth. I saw him back in probably two thousand five, two thousand six. He was incredible. I've I've heard many people say the worst thing you can do is to meet your hero. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, so. It's it's a tough one. 
for sure. Um, anyway, so that Dr. Z pedal, yeah, it's an overdrive, I yep. guess. Is it? Um, it says that it's got a MOSFET side and a germanium Correct. side. Correct. So should that be post? Um, I know with a germanium, you don't want to put it uh, after a buffer. No. So you know no, 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 no. That has that only applies to a fuzz pedal that doesn't have buffers or anything like that. It doesn't gotcha. apply to like a germanium drive pedal because it's all basically they're just using it to sweeten the sound. And uh, it, it might affect like the and it does. I mean, in my experience, it does affect the uh, the way the pedal feels um, and, and the kind of grit it puts out. But it's not gonna like it's not gonna squeal because it has germanium in it. That's that's kind of a myth. And in fact, it's germanium diodes and not a germanium transistor, which is another which is another oh, okay. thing too. Um, you know, diodes are basically half transistor anyway. So yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, my impression of that pedal was like it's not a tube screamer at all. It's not a amp in a box. It's it's like a very unique drive circuit. It reminded me of a yeah. 250, really, um, and they, they, I, I guess they said, well, it's supposed to be kind of like a like a Doctor Z, but I'm like, well, what is a Doctor Z really? I mean, because they make so many different amps that do so many different things, they really don't make one amp that is the Doctor Z sound, you know, um, and that's why I'm kind of, I was kind of like, it's supposed to sound like a Doctor Z, like what? You mean it has even yeah, order exactly. harmonics but or what, like does it have yeah. even order harmonics? Is that what you're trying to say? Like I, I'm just trying to figure it out. Um, so I don't know. I, I, if I was in the market for a dry pedal, I probably would uh, be interested in picking one up. I thought it sounded really, really good with that JTM 45 clone, the Nova. Um, that's an amp yep. that in a couple of years I might be springing for, um, especially if I can get one used. Cause I think that's one of the problems with Dr. Z is like their, their prices drop like a rock when they, when they go used. Um, I don't know if you've yeah. ever looked. I mean, you can get good Doctor C's for like six hundred or seven hundred bucks uh, if you're buying heads. Yeah. So, yep, it's a hard sell to buy a new one for fifteen hundred or two thousand bucks. But I'm definitely gonna yeah. buy the profiles. That's that's a must because th those amps were all really good in my opinion. Um, when I got my um, uh, my Lone Star, I was looking at a Doctor Z, not the Maserati. The Maz eighteen. Uh, yeah, that's they're um, kind of like general purpose amp. It was nice. There's a lot of different uh, things. I liked it. I but the truth is that the um both of them were about the same price, eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, well, they're but the 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 mass for me the mass is kind of generic, right? It's like this yeah. amp does this very this like clean thing very well and this dirt thing okay, and it's you know equipped to deal with pedals and it has you know reverb and all these different things in it. Some of their other yeah. amps are just stripped down like dirt machines. Some of their other amps are yeah. like stripped down clean machines. Some of their amps are, yeah. you know, like here's a tone knob. This is all you get. And this, yeah. so I, it was just kind of weird that, 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 that amp is the one that a lot of people like tend to buy because it's just general purpose when you have all these yeah, super the, specialized things they do, you know, the one I liked was the wreck. Yeah. The wreck is cool. That's a train wreck clone. Yeah. He was good friends with but Ken Fisher. He's yeah. good friends with Ken. He was good friends with Ken Fisher when he was alive. So uh -huh. he made some modifications to Ken Fisher's train wreck circuit, but he knows a lot of the secrets and how Ken was building them, which is why a lot of people love him. But even Brad Paisley's yeah. moved on from that. He's, he's playing that Marshall thing now. Like the Marshall, yeah. he, they, they, there's some amp that 
um, that they've collaborated on, which is like a, a blues breaker almost. Um, yep. Which is kind of strange to think that Brad Paisley is playing, you know, a Marshall. I, I know. It's right? not an AC, it's Brad not an AC 30. A, he's playing a Marshall with a Telecaster. And it's a, who was it, Bradford or whatever Telecaster? Yeah, something like that. Um, I did see some, his telly at Beerfest. They still had some of his telly laying around. I yeah. don't know if they're still making it. Oh, that. you're talking about that one that comes from Mexico? The, 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 no, yeah. the silver one. That's a, That was a USA guitar. Oh, no, the one that... The one they built was it was it was made in Mexico. Are you sure? Yeah, look it up. It was made. Oh, in Mexico. I thought it was. It's. I thought it was. It's like eleven hundred dollars or twelve hundred. Yeah, I thought that was a USA model. I thought they got it under the price because it was like it was all stripped down. That's how they got the. That's how they got the pricing. They they put it in Mexico. Built huh. it in Mexico. That's the price. And they put all the nice stuff again. That's what I was talking about. What Gibson should try to do is put some, you know, do some collaborations with their overseas vendors. Yeah. Um, I, I played one the other day at Guitar Center. It's got a, They don't have a bad resale value. I think they were, they go for like nine hundred dollars used. Um, it's a nice. It's a yeah. Nice I, just the stupid road worn thing ruined it for me. It's yeah. It's it's road worn, but not in a good way. It's exactly the same no matter which uh, Pat Paisley one you buy. Yeah, I didn't even uh, I didn't even bother to pick it up for that reason. Yeah, it, it's just a bad job of. They should have done it um, with, like, it just not bothered with the road worn. Yeah, so they got them silver sparkle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the, um, I don't know if they've got one. Um, uh, I'm looking to see if they got a picture of the back of the headstock. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, made in Mexico. Right on Sweetwater site. Yeah, so, but the fender. Interestingly enough, it is nitro. Worn. Yep, yep. That's what I was saying. That's how they got the pricing down was to do the road wearing and the nitro in Mexico. Yeah, it's hilarious though that 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 the nitro is, you know what I mean? Like it's just hilarious to me that the nitro they did nitro on a Mexican guitar, and then the and then the road worn part of it looks so cheesy. So bad. yeah, I mean, like I if it was nitro, like now that I know that, like if I see one cheap, I might uh, I might have to consider it and then just beat the hell out of it. So it looks so yep. it looks way better because I mean the truth is if you're gonna do a nitro they may as well have just done it right yeah just not war worn it just, just done it right because the nitro is gonna wear right it, and it would look better and it would look like you well I highly doubt I hey. highly doubt that he's actually playing any of his own Telecaster when you see some of the guitars he's got like no he 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 plays like he's got a um a boat. Of telecasters yeah. that he plays every night yeah. and uh you know it, it's like um let's see brad paisley uh telecaster uh he plays i i can't remember how many different ones he plays but he's got several of them that he that he carries if if you watch the um like the the who is a premium yeah, guitar, they do the does right, the right, thing they do the rug rundown. Take a look at that. Look at what his tech shows you. And it's like, holy crap, he's got a boat on him. But if you if you search for Brad Paisley Telecaster, all you find is that thing that we were just looking at. And it's not a it's not a bad guitar. It's actually a nice guitar. And folks, if you're looking at one, it is really nice. It's got the it's got the paint. It's just thing. stripped it's down, like silver. It's nitro. It's just the 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 um what would you call that? The heel, the bout where they did the wearing. Yeah. 
they so Looks like uh, it was totally really bad know, they sandpaper. Took, yeah, they took the they just wore it. But if you buy three of them and you put them next to each other, a good um road worn, those will look different. It'll wear a little no, bit. These are all identical. These are identically worn exactly the same way, which means they were machine worn. They had a yeah, they had a uh, um well it, it to me what it looks like is they had like a, a piece of tape thing or whatever they had plastic that they put over it sprayed the paint on yeah. pulled that off and then did the nitro right and that because they're exa- they're all worn exactly the same place exactly the same way. they had three of the guitar center one was used two were on the wall and they all of them looked exactly the same i can tell you one that wears really nicely really quickly believe it or not is those satin tribute les paul of course and they look they wear well and they and they look great all right. Well, we, anyway. we've been rambling on long enough. Uh, I have been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were the practical guitarists. Or impractical as it might be. What do you think? <laughs>